Do you know where to start? Yo, what up, what up, what up? This is the Lazy Philosophers Podcast, and today I got with us the most listened to episode guest. I'm not, and we've had pretty impressive guests. We've had Judge Posner, the man who was one of Barack Obama's law idols. We had the general counsel of the Clinton Foundation. We've had other people that I can't remember right now, but this episode with Steve, or not this episode, well, maybe this episode, but that episode with Steve, self-belief, mad listens. Say hello, Steve. Hello, uh, lazy philosophers. I'm uh, I'm glad that you guys like that episode. I uh, my, my parents are proud of me now that I yeah. Them. It's huge credit, bro. Like you I know, beat some legal masterminds. Yeah, exactly, so, man. I didn't get my JD, but this makes up for it. Exactly. Yeah, well, more people care about your opinion, at <laughs> least on my platform. So yeah, that works. More and more people are able to understand my opinion because it lacks. <laughs> I, I think that was a fun episode. I think there was like a lot. Like I discovered part of myself in that episode. Like I was talking um, with my friend Max Jante, who had an episode on language, which was an amazing episode. And we were talking about it after the podcast with Fernish. I was like, dude, that was like the way we we're talking about it was like it was like really good sex, you know, like like just word sex, you know? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And so it was just like I, I think that happened. We we had our first one where we talked about. And that might ever come up one day, you know. That was a good episode too, that adventure one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From the vault. Yeah, but um, we're gonna be talking about communism. One of the reasons I chose Steve to talk about communism is I know that Steve knows what it is, and I've been desperate to talk about communism with somebody on the podcast. All right, and you study economics, right? Studied economics, and uh, did you I, take a communism course by any class? I took uh, no, but I took like some like I know what communism is in respect to like an oligarchy and a and a free market economy and then but i've also like for fun i also read a lot about like russian history and like history of countries that we didn't hear about in the united states because we were like trying to squash their communist socialist movements so i have like a kind of like extra credit appreciation for it and honestly my autodidact um, education is probably the um majority of what i've learned Period. Like, most of the stuff I remember I've taught myself. You right, know? right, yeah. Um, but, like, one of the things that, like, so the reason why communism has been going on in my head so much is because um, we're suffering massive job attrition. Um, almost every, all the jobs are, I think they say 65% of jobs that exist um, for a 12-year-old, um, 60, 65% of jobs, um, I don't know how to word this, when a 12-year-old right now, when they reach 30, 65% of jobs that are available right now will no longer exist due to automation. And when, when you're, we're taking a look at these numbers, right, it's like, it's like, it's huge. And it's only going to go faster, right? It's like, it, like 60, it could be like 100% done yeah. by technology. Well, yeah, no, that's like, I didn't mean to cut you off. No. But like, but like, I used to work in this, uh, I used to work in this warehouse, Right with this guy, I was in. Uh, I think I just got out of college, and there was this guy with a forklift certification, right? And he's like, "Oh, I got this forklift certification. Like, I'm the man." But like, we're literally packaging, we're putting together um, pallets that are being sent to Amazon that have automatic forklifts. Mm. So it's like you are celebrating this certification while you are literally shipping these boxes to something that is going to make your position obsolete. Mm. And I think that that's the fundamental flaw with unchecked capital capitalism, mm. which is that capitalism in a free market, it's the goal is to strive for efficiency, which means that you want to minimize cost and the greatest cost in any free market economy is labor. Yep. And what is 
the greatest limitation about capitalism is that we continue to refer to labor as labor, which was then tied into cost instead of referring to labor as human beings, mm. right? So then you kind of have this like parabolic thing with automation that's happening and you can't at this point you can't really like turn off the faucet right and yeah david simon the creator of the wire has a really good lecture uh it's at the uh conference of dangerous ideas when he talks about this um but yeah no it's like in the second season of the wire they're uh steven mm-hmm. you know what i'm yep. saying and the one dude's like yo man like we used to make things in this country what happened now we just pick the other guy's pocket Exactly. Well, the the really sad scene is whenever they they look at the Dutch, um, the 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 doc works at the Dutch, um, yeah. thing, and he's just looking at this like, oh my god, you know. Right. And I think he, I mean, almost everybody's facing this. I, I just did James Altucher's podcast. I don't know where he's going to post that one. I think talk with him. It's going to be a few weeks or whatever. He, um, I told him one of the reasons I chose stand up over the law is because the law, just from a career standpoint, is facing massive job attrition. Like, um, JP Morgan just unleashed a software that did 300,000 hours of billable work in a weekend. What, legal work? Legal work. Legal, what you pay, people, 600, 700 thousands of dollars an hour to do. It did 300,000 hours of that in a weekend. And so, I mean, I mean, it's not going to get to a point where, like, I think robots are trying cases and that's what... People don't understand, like, with, um, like... It's that we'll need fewer. It's not that we're not gonna we're gonna get rid of all of them. It's that you're gonna just get rid of most of the people who read doc review. Um, they're experiencing, you know, Watson for um, Jeopardy. Uh-huh. So they're using that for diagnosing diseases, right? Right. And so, like, and it, the thing is that Watson can do outdo every. It can balance a lot more stuff, and it, it uses the same learning um, technology that I think Deep Learning uses. Um, I think or Deep Mind from Google. Where it um, basically was able to like train itself to become the best player in Go. Oh yeah, very rapidly. And so we're seeing all this happen. And for me, I think communism is just going to just. I think we're going to go to universal pay. I think we're going to go to more government housing and stuff like that. And then eventually, just there's going to be a cashless society um, because there's no consumers left to consume, and that robots will run everything. To you, like. I mean, I feel like, so, okay, if we're talking about, you know, classical communism, right, Marxism that was advocated by Vladimir Ilyich, Lenin, and Trotsky, which was then converted to Stalinism, Khrushchev, you kind of have that, like, thing. Um, If you're talking about, like, straight communism, there's three phases, right? Yeah. There is the, you know, you have to... There's a first phase, which is like getting, and I I could be wrong about this, but um, the second phase is the most important because the first phase is like getting rid of the, you know, the landowners, the gentry. And I think the second phase is then you appoint a small group of people to kind of serve as like a dictatorship until the world reaches the third phase, which is like the utopian communist vision, right? So essentially in your world, the robots take that kind of, that second phase by force and and so by necessity humans evolve into like a third phase but it's actually a dystopian communist 
I don't think that Marx had all the answers. Like, no, so neither. Either, I, 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 I think he had the right diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. Wrong, wrong follow. I don't think communism should happen through revolution. I think that's actually the the worst fucking way to do it. I think it's it's just going to be a gradual progression of culture to where people are like less and less build their identity around their work, um, around their labor thing. Because this is the thing: is revol- revol- revolutions never really help out. The people who are in the revolution itself. It's it's like for us, the American Revolution, who was that really for? Like, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't for them at that time. Shit got a lot worse during that time. You know, right. they're paying petty taxes. Honestly, we might even be better off if we were still part of the UK. Um, <laughs> but it's when... So I think what's, what I'm interested in, maybe I brought this out to economics, because like this, this could get um, tiresome to just talk about for the whole episode, but I, I think that we build so much of our identity around what we do and how much money we make. And I think one of the biggest frictions between people wanting to basically have a communist state or have a lot of automation of post-scarcity economy is they don't know what, how to, um, we don't know how to have purpose without making money or feeling like we're making an impact as human beings. And I think this goes back to being in a tribe. Yeah, that's like a very, um, have you read Sapiens? No, I've not. All right, so I'm reading. Who's, who's it by? Ah, uh, shit. It's uh, is an it's an Israeli doctor. Uh, his last name's Harris, I think. But basically, it's just about the evolution. Sam Harris? No, no, it's not Sam <laughs> Harris. Um, it, it, um. Anyways, but yeah, no, I think you hit it. Like what they talk about in the book on, on the head, which is that, you know, the reason why human beings were able to become like they were middle of the food chain and became apex predators is because of our ability to communicate. Mm -hmm. And then within that communication, um, that structure of communication, we were able to create stories and myths, which allowed groups of larger than 150 people to be governed. So that like, if you were in a tribe and you walked over to another tribe, you both believed in the same group of gods which meant that you had a same similar value system right so like in other words you're saying and i and i and i think that um one of the things that like american gods the show and the book explores is like we've kind of replaced our deities with these new deities which are like money credit technology mm-hmm. um so yeah no i completely agree i think that uh i think that people derive a lot of what they of who they think they are based on what they have and what they make exactly it's like it's basically the modern day statuettes right mm-hmm. like it, it, it's funny because like the television is kind of like our altar yeah, um right, right, you know right. and all of that stuff I, I think that's really interesting um though that you're talking about that these these stories um bind us together when i was studying economics um, back in london my professor said that our you americans are neurotic about uh, your nationalism, while we in Europe are afraid of it, and he and I was like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "Every one of you knows the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. Every every event is God bless America. There, we do all these things to trick us, basically into thinking that we're all one, right? right. The the singular entity that somebody from Alaska, the t- someone who lives pretty close to North Pole, and somebody who lives at the bottom of Texas, right? right? Looking radically different." all know the same words the pledge of allegiance you know right no matter where they go and that kind of binds them together and i think this is the problem a lot of times with what i think with so you've been to europe 
Yeah. I've been to Europe. Right. We understand that, like, dude, society is dope over there. Germany, like, that's really, really a cool place, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's because people are bought in. And the, their sense of other is more distant than, let's say, or their sense of otherness isn't as inbuilt as, let's say, um, somebody who lives in southern Illinois, right? Yeah. I, yeah. No, I completely understand, yeah. Okay, so... And I think it gets more difficult to think whenever you think... So there's been a movement away from patriotism and I think nationalism towards um, ethnocentrism or, or just kind of just this people who look like me is what basically yeah. is I don't it's not about being an American it's about being you know the, this white person from here or this black person from here and we're seeing this identity politics emerge all over the place and this is where I think it's going to get in the way of something beautiful like a very a socialist heavy society or communist society in which everybody values their identity this is going to sound so messed up but everyone values their their identity a little bit too much to basically see the humanness or the like like the similarities in other people Oh, yeah, that's an interesting, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, it's interesting because, like, you said a lot there, um, the, the, is like, so, the interesting thing about Europe is, is that they have had, well, first of all, some of their languages are better designed for a socialist like in Spanish, mm. you don't have to include when you conjugate a verb. You don't have to say I walk. You can just say camino, right? Mm. So like the subject is implied in the conjugation of the verb. So I feel like, and you know, there's that like theory that they talk about in the movie Arrival, where like the language. A beautiful is, movie. If you haven't seen that movie, go watch Arrival. Yeah, well, it makes you think, and it's well written, way better than Interstellar. Okay, I'm done. No, no, no. It's it is a fantastic movie, and it's a really good movie about languages. And one of the things that they discuss is that like depending on what language you speak, that's how you think. And like a lot of like romantic languages have like a very. Um, you know, they have a socialist society, but, like, German... Well, okay, so then, you know, because, like I said, I don't know, this is just my personal theory, but, like, again, you don't have to use a subject when you conjugate a verb in Spanish, so people are less conscious of, like, the I. Mm. Like, you don't have to say I walk, you can just mm. say camino. Mm. But if you're saying I less, then there's less of that individualistic sentiment, mm. right? That's my theory. I don't know if it's true. Because you could also say, well, German and English if you're talking about England, those are very similar to English because you have to use subjects to conjugate a verb mm -hmm. to which I'd stay in. But at the same time, you still see that kind of like socialist collectivist, um, you know, unity that mm -hmm. you don't see in the United States because of that individualistic, you know, um, but I would, but I would say there for those two societies, history served as a check mm -hmm. because you kind of have, you have England with the empire that fell, right? And then you have Germany with the kind of the opposite, which was like, let's build an empire really quickly based on nationalistic principles yeah. that was actually cloaked in evil and, um, you know, just sadistic, horrible, you know, policy. And so, like, they see, so both of them see the danger of nationalism, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, it was in their backyard. But America, we still have this like commercial and I listened to your podcast with Jeff Asmus who's mm -hmm. one of the funniest comics in Chicago and he's a really intelligent guy and he was like nationalism is a disease 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and I I don't disagree with that statement because that's like one of the myths that the guy's talking about in that book. It's yeah. like well, I think it's an inferior form of technology. I think nationalism is great when you look at the fact that we could all be warring with these other fifty states. Like 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 so like on one level I love nationalism, right? Because it it, it basically every I'm not worried about the invasion of Michigan. Right, 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 right. And and but like the thing is I think nationalism is an inferior form. I look at words as a pieces of technology. Right, and like if you know a certain type of word, you're able to label something in a more precise way. That's why Germans. There's, there's not. Uh, have you heard um, Brendan Lemon's bit on um, German? Um, oh, he, he has a, a joke on how who's on first would never happen in German, uh, because it's <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, and he does a, a really great run through of it. But I think um, that's really funny. It, so nationalism is primitive, right? It's more primitive than world citizen. Right. Yeah, yeah. And 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 but the thing is, and I think the reason why this individualistic culture has emerged a lot in the United States is because we don't need other people. Like like, and I'm not saying just as a country, there's a lot insulated, and that America has run off this idea that we can basically in, be insulated from the world and isolationism. I'm talking about the individual. We have, especially the farther west you go, the 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 le- more land you can have. The more you just get in your car, people don't want to ride in the subways with other people. Why? Because they can. And so that we have so much space that we don't need to be collectivists, mm-hmm. right? In Singapore, it's hella collectivists because you need each other. You're right. in this limited amount of space, right? You know, and so and, and so like these are the things I think that we in the United States are. Your culture is a form of technology. It's a te- technology is a form of convenience. There's a lot of things that happen easier because we live in a culture that values trust, mm-hmm. right? We live in one of the most high trust societies in the world, right? Where people's word and everything like that, and we can build upon that. What's, what's bothersome is that with the current trajectory of our country, we're looking at a lot of people being able to be like, oh, I blame someone for not having a job when that job might not be available right yeah and and or like even the coal miner thing why the fuck aren't we just putting all these people on welfare why the fuck are we taking our country a hundred years back a hundred fucking years back right to use inferior forms of technology that no one wants to use that's not even profitable that's a fucking sham yeah right just to give someone a sense of purpose. The thing is, is that we get too locked in, and th- we do this as comedians too. I remember the, I bombed one time really bad. I've told this time a, a lot of times in the podcast. I bombed one time really bad at, at Don't Meet Fresh. It was, it wasn't the only time I bombed there, but it was a time it felt personal, felt mean. And you know what I did? I, I teared up, and then I came home and I wrote down all the things that meant more to me than stand up. And I realized that I am over romanticizing a sense of purpose. To fit into this American paradigm that I am a monolithic one part, one thing. And that's what needs to change. Because, like, I don't know if you know that Mark's quote. He's like, I dream of a world where you can wake up in the morning and go fish, hunt in the afternoon and criticize in the evening without being a hunter, a fisherman, or a uh, critic. And I love that. And I think a lot of people don't know how to have purpose without making money from it. I don't think people know that the goal of life isn't to have a purpose in terms of your narrative, but to live purposefully consistently. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Well, I think that, like, it's actually a pretty, it's a pretty interesting. I never really thought about it like that. I think that money is an oversimplification. I, I, I think typically what it is is 
um, if, if I walked up to you and I said, hey, you know, I think one of the things that they talk about in America that they don't talk about in Europe a lot is, you know, it's like, what do you do, mm. right? So it's like, oh, like, hey, I'm Will. And then I'd be like, hey, I'm Steve. And then it's like, well, what do you do? And then you might be like, if you were a lawyer, you'd be like, yeah, I'm a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Or like, I work at Chase, all right? So it's like, now you don't really have to tell me much more about you because mm-hmm. I've got a pretty good idea of what you do, mm-hmm. right? But like, now, Will, you lose your job, right? So it's like, hey, I'm Will. Hey, I'm Steve. It's like, oh, what do you do? And you're like, well, I used to be a lawyer. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. you used to be? And then it becomes this like kind of like unwind. Like I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. jobs, like I feel like a job, it gives you it actually kind of it it allows you not to have to tell a story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't you don't have to say what you're really who you really like because mm. like i never say i never say like hey like you never say hey i'm will and then i say hey i'm steven and i never say like hey who are you mm-hmm. that'd be weird that'd be weird that'd be weird as fuck it's <laughs> like i'm not i'm not asking what you do for a living no. i'm asking who you are yeah right which is like that might be a guy who likes to fish or hunt mm-hmm. or be a critic at night but m- most of the time we're working our asses off and we don't know who we want to be mm-hmm. you know what i mean so we try to purchase it yeah, so we, we try to purchase it, and then we, I mean, I think a lot of time we purchase it with time. Like, mm-hmm. if you, if you, if you spend 60 hours a week in an office, like, then you're a lawyer. Well, that, that to me is really powerful. So I, I took a time, a time in between college where, uh, before I was starting classes in the UK, I was, um, started my own business in Malaysia, but like, it wasn't really profitable. All this other stuff was in this big in-between. And whenever I would try and meet people, they're like, oh, what did you, what do you do? Um, and I would try to explain it. I would see them actually lose interest in, in, in the conversation. Not, right. And not only that, I, I felt like I was explaining myself. And what I realized later on is, isn't it strange how if you wanted to – if I asked you, do you know where you're going? And you're like, yes. That's way more confident than – do you know where you're going? Yeah. Like, I know where I'm going. It's like, you know, down I-45 over here and then this and that. And we, we have a bias towards people who don't have to explain themselves. They just look at it as more trustworthy. Because uh, it's easy. Because it's, it, it's, it's easier for our brain to do the gymnastics. And I like how you say that, like, it, it's kind of a shield, right? Like, I, I can say, like, look, I'm a lawyer. Oh, that's cool. Like, I take the bar and look, now, wow. The next question, what law school do you go to? And then it goes into the status anxiety. And this is what I think. Do you know why people kill themselves in America? Heartbreak and status anxiety. Those are the, and, and mental illness. I'm not, I'm not talking about people who, who are clinically depressed and blah, blah. I'm talking about preventable suicides, right? Yeah. A lot of that is status anxiety. Most people's depression is status anxiety. And what is this? Is because in this role-playing game that we have, we're unsure of how we're supposed to make people respect us as much as we think we should be respected, right? Yeah. And, and so we, we're, we're climbing into, and this is where the job really comes in, right? That's why a lot of people, whenever they're in between work, they don't want to go out, right? Because in the game, they feel like, oh, snap, like, I, I don't have purpose. I'm not contributing to the fucking tribe. Like that's also it. It's like it's like I'm a, I'm a leech, right? And, and 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 that feels. I mean, that's the worst thing to be in a tribe, right? Is someone who can't contribute. Yeah. You know, 
And and so I I really think though that sense of needing to work to have value, even though it has been necessary to get humanity where it's going and where it is, and thank God for it, and I think it's very it can be fulfilling. I think it's also limiting. Yeah, it no, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Well, and that's the problem though, right? Like, I think that the the problem is is that. Yeah, I, I completely relate to what you're saying about heartbreak and status anxiety as far as, like, leading causes of suicide, as far as, like, non-mental illness-related stuff, or but preventable. But I actually think that, I think that the kind of suicide that happens over heartbreak is actually a form of status anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's actually the same thing. It's just yep. a romantic status that's yep. shaken. But that's a whole different topic. Um the thing that's the thing that like I think that if you go back to the beginning of the conversation when I was talking about the guy who thought because he was a forklift driver that made him special but he didn't understand mm. that his job was going to be obsolete because of a place we actually worked with and I, I I think that that guy is like the perfect illustration of what the problem is because like he goes home he eats a lean cuisine he watches TV goes to bed he wakes up he's a forklift operator right he does that for a decade right and then one day he comes to work and they say we have an automated forklift and now he's like what do i do mm-hmm. right but he never saw it coming right? yeah and it's because it's because nobody it's hard to challenge yourself like that it's hard to be like yo this is who i am but where do i fit into the big picture yeah you know like how am Nobody wants, and this is the scary, I like wait, I, I go to bed sometimes and I'm like afraid because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, how do I fit into the big picture? You know, like at the end of the day, we're all just anonymous, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like no matter what we do, you could be the most famous person in the world, right? You could be the most successful person in the world, but at the end of the day, you're dead, right? And you're just a gravestone. So, um, but like, so like how, when you're living your life, um, do you do you make it a mission to not only continue to to continue to live with purpose, but also kind of get a sense of where you are in the big picture, and like how you need to evolve to continue to live with purpose based on your skill set? Mm-hmm. And I feel like people always talk about how like there's a there's a there's a um, there's inequality there's like wealth inequality yeah, and they talk about how um, they talk about wealth inequality. I, I I would say, yeah, that's like a big problem. That's a huge problem. But I also think that there's knowledge inequality. Mm. I don't think that there's like... And I, I would argue that now we live in a form of the Dark Ages. And and I, I think that the reason why the Dark Ages, the original Dark Ages, were the Dark Ages was because the, the, the cultural technology like that you were talking about, like it just there wasn't anything to turn the light on, right? Mm. There just wasn't anything in place. There was no printing press. There was no dissemination of information. There wasn't enough literate people. There was too much, the, there was a high death rate. Like mm. the, it just, knowledge was not, it was not being transacted mm-hmm. fast enough. So then you lived in darkness, right? So what's going on now, right? You basically have the polar opposite of that. You have knowledge being exchanged at an extremely high transaction rate, right? So like, there's more knowledge on the internet in one day than there was in the 1800s, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's more shit out there, right? But when you have all of this stuff blocking the light, which is the truth, 
it's still dark. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's how you get like flat earthers, right? And but, exactly, yeah. The, the, and there's these entire communities of people who are building their own myths because like this is the thing is Joe Rogan said something really interesting about when he's talking about flat earthers is people love knowing something that other people don't know even if it means they believe something that's not true yes and to me when you when you said that it, it is that we have a, such a proliferation of information and and the ability to block out other forms of information just like the, we these little disconnected like villages did during the dark ages that yeah that people and, and and people this is the thing is we we are a time period filled of ideologues right and ideology like is scary because like this is the thing is like i want I imagine a, tech, a communist utopia, right, in the future. I just, I, 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 that's what I hope for humanity. Everybody gets their needs met and travel whenever we lose the sense of, like, I need to have a nice place. You can just check in places and everything like that. And I think we're slowly moving towards things like that with, like, Airbnb. I'm going to give an anecdotal example of how we're moving towards that and then go back to what I was making a point. Um, James Altucher, who I recorded a podcast with in New York, he's a best-selling author. He's a hundred millionaire, owns zero property. All right, zero, like absolutely no property. He owns three shirts and he just goes around staying in various Airbnbs and hanging out and this kind of stuff. Here's the thing is like, I can see more people moving towards that. Is that, well, I don't need a place per se to stay, right? I don't need to call this mine in order for it to encompass who I am. Um, I have no idea where I was going with that, but I just thought that was interesting in how like with things like Airbnb, people are losing their attachment to their place. Yeah. Like, 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 and we're seeing that minimalism is on the rise. Like, it's actually a trend. Like, even if you look at the way we relate with technology, there, people just want less things, you know? And who we are, but now the scary part and how it ties to ideology, what makes us special? Because you said something very important. You said, what makes that guy special? And this is the scary thing about a relationship. We think that how we relate to somebody else is what makes us special. She doesn't fuck anybody else. That's why I'm special. Yeah, right? right that and and like that it, dude what i i'm have this bit in my mind where i'm doing some crowd work and it's like yeah um you know i see a couple's like hey uh so i, I are you guys together because um because you guys don't fuck anyone else is that what you love most about her is that she doesn't have sex with anybody else <laughs> That's and, and but like and that but that feeds into the, i need to feel special and i think special is the fucking problem because this is the thing is our need to be feel special actually robs us of feeling value See, you can feel like you have value without thinking that you have special. Special is contingent on what other people do. Value is contingent on what you actually contribute. Other people have to acknowledge specialness. You only have to acknowledge that you have value, and you have to contribute to that and feel like you're giving a meaningful thing to that. And yes, there's value exchange, whatever, and we might be parsing terms, but I think there is a nuanced difference. Yeah. I, I, there were days I felt very valuable to people where there was no one clapping my saying, hey, Bill, you know, we love you. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and we need to disintegrate this concept of needing to feel special, this exceptionalism, right? And, and, and this all sounds very bleak, but that's not actually what it's about. You know, like, everybody, like, you know, people always talk about what attracts girls. Is it, is, is it, is it money? And I was like, money's only existed for 5,000 years. How the fuck were apes fucking without money? Yeah. <laughs> okay? This is a construct. It's a medium for what? Status and value contributed, right? And like honestly, status a lot of times is situational based. We tend to think in things, even this whole alpha male culture, where it's like I am alpha 100% of the time. 
right? right. I'm important 100% of the time. But here's actually the thing, is no one's ever important 100% of the time. Everybody's in a room where they don't feel important, at least some of the time, where they're not leading or whatever. And a lot of that's based on your behavior and how you feel in the moment. You know, a lot of people talk about like confidence, right? As if it's like static. Like I achieved confidence, you know? Like huh, now I wasn't confident back then, but now motherfucker confident. Like no, dude. yeah, they get that like that's an interesting. Yeah. That's a really like cuz I'm kind of like still like chewing on what you just said. Like, but, like yeah, no, like the value special the the confidence thing isn't static, but I I think one of the things that you just hit on was like the whole you know, there's like everybody always sits somebody sits in a room and they don't feel important. Like the most like some people sit some you, you said like some people everybody sits in a room and doesn't feel important and um this one time i had this crush on this really pretty girl she, she just wasn't into me and um but she kind of like strung me along can we get a name no just no, no, no. <laughs> um, if you're listening to this now uh, i'm over it no um, <laughs> no but uh i had this teacher who told me something really interesting um she's like yeah like even really good looking people don't like a part of themselves and sometimes they have to find really creative ways not to like themselves right so Mm. like it was the first time i thought about like even people who you know physically are quote unquote special like even they feel unspecial sometimes Mm -hmm. even though they have the most evolutionary base um kind of specialness which is like this person is somebody that i look at and i i i I feel like (laughs) i've never actually said it like this but like if you look at a girl and you're like damn she's hot like i'd sleep with her really what you're saying is is like i see that girl and i feel like she's an excellent candidate for procreating Mm -hmm. which physiologically is what my biological imperative is Mm -hmm. right Sorry, it's ten twelve. So oh, okay, do we gotta but, wrap this up? Yeah. So, anyways, long and short of it is, is that yeah. I mean, I think. I don't know. I feel like everybody feels anonymous at times, and like, but we're usually afraid to. But if we all felt a little bit more anonymous, and we realize everybody else did, we could start relating to people. Yeah. Easier. And also, that there's there's this one thing. There's this needs to be an expectation that this isn't bad. I want to do a bit about, like, look, there are seven billion people on the planet. Seven fucking billion people on the planet. And every one of them have been lonely. Can we stop acting like this is a, oh, this is not the base state? Like, the thing is, I think more people get worked up on the fact that I shouldn't be lonely. No, you should. Like, that's, and the expectation, that's the the problem, is the expectation that should be different. You know, the expectation that you should feel special all the time, the expectation of uh, like that you're supposed to be having the best sex with the person who you have the best conversations with. All these expectations delude, it, 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 it muddies our reality and it makes it less likely for us to have happiness because we can't see it objectively. And we're constantly trying to warp the, our point of view of the world. No, and, the, and you know, like, let's just, let's just go, like, as we wrap this up, let's just go full circle, right? Yeah. Like, let's come back to capitalism versus communism, right? The whole idea that, you know, like, there's that movie Midnight in Paris, the Woody Allen movie, and, you know, the guy has golden age syndrome where he's like, oh, yeah. if I lived in the 20s, I'd be happy. And then at the end, he gets to the point where he's like, well, you know, he's like, you know, like, if I lived in the 20s, I would just look back and be like, ah, oh, I want to live in the Victorian era, right? And he's like, but then... 
you know, you're constantly looking back and what you realize, what I realize now is that the present is just a little bit unsatisfying. Mm -hmm. But so why do we feel as a society, what you just said, like why my life should be special and meaningful at all times. And the reason is, is because somebody told you, somebody told me and somebody's making money off of your propensity to believe that Mm -hmm. because that we were reading copy today in acting class right and so like it's just like all this shit for like products but it's like you know like two three paragraphs about a single product and i i I realized like there was six or seven on the same page and i asked my acting teacher i was like all you're doing here all we're doing here is we're asking the audience a question and we're posing them we're posing a problem to them right and then we're presenting them with the solution Mm -hmm. and so basically what what capitalism is doing to continue to feed itself is just manufacturing problems yep. for people to solve. And, and they're unsolvable. And this is the thing is our neofront cortex is a problem-solving machine, right? And so to the whole world, the, to, the, to the hammer, the whole world is nail, right? right. And to, to our brains, everything's a problem because that's basically how we stay alive. You know, and, right. and uh, so I, and yeah, man, damn, I wish you didn't have to go, but, um, we, we I, is there anything you want to plug? Not right now, man. Not right now. Well, dude, thank you for being back on, man. Yeah, dude, of course. appreciate you, man. This I was, I miss you. Dude, well, you're gonna come out to New York, man. New York's your city, bro. I feel it. All right. Godspeed.